This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you in association with Seafood Sourcing. Formed in 2016, Seafood Sourcing are Scotland's premier seafood exporter, delivering the finest quality in fish from sea to shelf in the fastest possible time. With supply from all main Scottish ports, including from Europe's largest fishing port at Peterhead, daily catches are filleted by Seafood Sourcing's high-skilled team at their facility in Fraserburgh, prior to transport on a fleet of modern, refrigerated lorries providing deliveries to as far afield as Belgium and France within 12 hours. For all of your seafood supply needs, contact Seafood Sourcing on 01346 410 080 or by email on sales at seafoodsourcing.co.uk. It's Wednesday and you know what that means. Welcome to episode 14 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott and joining me this week, as always, it's Gavin Baxter and Graham Steele. How's it going, guys? Fine, thank you. As happy as any man that's got the uh, very present living memory of Charlie Adam looking like Pirlo against your team. And our squad numbers take a timely boost this week with the addition to the starting lineup of Tom Watt. Tom, great to have you with us. How's it going? Thank you very much. It could be squad number zero or something. No, good, good. Thank you very much for having us on. Not a problem. Delighted to have you. Events from Saturday at Dens Park have somewhat hastened a, a last-minute change to our originally scheduled programming. So instead of bringing you the results of your own worst Dons 11 as voted for by you, we're going to take a much bigger deep dive in everything going on at the club just now. And after the break, we'll also take our weekly look at the young team and our loanees on together with a review of the women's team in there. One nil defeat to the hands at Hibs in SWPL1 before wrapping things up with a look ahead to next Saturday's home fixture for the first team against Hibs at Pataudry. So starting things off, Dundee 2, Aberdeen 1, Dens Park, Saturday the 16th of October 2021 in the SPFL Premiership. Aberdeen with three changes from the starting lineup last time out against Celtic with Ryan Hedges and Funzo King Ojo restored to the starting lineup alongside Declan Gallagher with Matty Longstaff, Austin Samuels, and the injured Ross McCrory dropping out. Tom Ritchie also finding himself on the bench for the ill Joe Lewis. In our first half between two struggling teams, failed to produce much in the way of quality. The Dons dominating possession on the whole, with the home side content to sit in and break with pace. Neither team fashioning much in the way of clear-cut opportunities until the 32nd minute. A Ramsey corner met by Ramirez, whose diving header was cleared off the line by Griffiths. Hayes then hitting a shot from distance just past the post from the resulting corner kick. But other than that, a fairly typical recent first-half performance from the Dons. And in the second half, once again, a porous defence concedes a sloppy goal. The Dons try to play one pass too many around the Dundee box. He's a hedges attempt at a through-ball cutout. A long ball knocked up the park from McMullen, finding Griffiths in acres of space to drive forward and slot beyond Gary Woods for 1-0. And 13 minutes later, it's two. The ball eventually worked at the path of McCow and he slots a side-footed effort past Woods from 18 yards. And at 2-0 down, the atmosphere in the away end begins to turn. A large vocal support making their feelings known about manager Stephen Glass with taunts of you're getting sacked in the morning and Stephen, Stephen, get the fuck ringing around Dense Park. With little spark or imagination on display from the men in red, it took an excellent cross from McKenzie to beat the Dundee backline. Ramirez tapping in for a tight angle to give Aberdeen hope. And again, plenty of possession and set plays, but no clear-cut chances as the likes of Watkins and McGinn 
began to have some influence on the game. Tempers fraying between the sides with Aberdeen goalkeeping coach Gordon Marshall sent off, soon followed by James McPake following an altercation between the Dundee bench and Jack McKenzie. A tame brown effort saved easily by the Dundee keeper as nine minutes of injury time slipped away and Dundee picked up their first victory over Aberdeen since 2014, their first of the campaign and the Dons slipping to a fifth defeat in the spinning league. Only one victory in our last 11 games, one clean sheet in 22, now sitting in ninth spot, just one point above Livingston and two above Dundee in 11th. Now, before we move on to the wider ramifications, gents, just your thoughts on the game itself on Saturday. Well, I, I wasn't there, so I can keep it brief and just it's another another week goes by, another three points we don't get. And, you know, by all accounts, I'm chatting to you guys, not necessarily looking like we were going to get the three points either. I think I've gone from, like, there, there's maybe one or two exceptions, but that, that is as close to our strongest starting 11 as we can get. And even when that team comes out, I still had a bad feeling about it. I still and at no no at halftime, I, I had zero confidence we were going to win this game. I think that's that's my biggest problem. It, it's not that if we go go down, we're, I've got any faith that we're going to get back into it. I just we're done. Um, at halftime, I thought the first half had been a very tense affair. I thought, generally speaking, we had controlled the game, but you could see how dangerous Dundee were in attack. Um, a lot of the same old issues. With regards to fullbacks getting uh, left in two v one situations, something that's uh, happened time and time again in the past. And then, yeah, of course, as um, as Tom's alluded to there, it's um, a bad decision in attack. It's a simple ball up the pitch, and we know the rest. And likewise, when we went down, I had no faith that we were coming back from it. So, uh, thoroughly, thoroughly disappointing evening. So let's just, I guess let's just try and break down that game a little bit. I mean, first half, I thought it looked like two teams devoid of any real confidence, really any belief that they could go out and win that game. We had much more of the possession, as has been much of the case for the season, but never really looked particularly threatening with it at any point. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think the, 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 the problem I've got with the people who have been pointing to us having 60-odd percent possession and more shots and things as, as a sign that things might turn is if you're an opposition manager at the moment, how do you set up to play against Aberdeen? You sit deep and you wait for them to make a mistake and you play on the break. And that's, that's just what teams have been doing to us repeatedly. Although the first half was pretty tense, We've got a mistake in us. We've got at least one mistake in us at, at all times, and you don't need to do an awful lot to to force it. We're we're too far up high up the pitch. We give the ball away cheaply, and it's a it's a long ball that like we should never be as 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 high up the pitch as we are for Griffiths to not be offside. Um, I think that's the biggest problem. I've got no faith whatsoever that even even if it with a in a tepid first half with two teams devoid of confidence. I had no faith it would finish nil-nil because I know that we're going to concede, or I know that we're going to concede chances. Um, and that we've got to fix. That's the thing. that That's what we've got to fix first. There, for all the talk of the possessions and the chances that we're creating, the, the, most, the most effective attacking players we've got are the two fullbacks, which mean that our defence is isolated. We've now played, what, 60? I think we've played 16 games this 
the season all in and we've had 13 different combinations of goalkeepers and defence and the, the back five effectively goalkeeper and defence so there's no chance of people learning from each other or any kind of cohesion with it or anything like that so while we are so fragile and we are seconds away at any given time from conceding um I, I'm never relaxed I'm never I never feel like we're you know we're capable of sitting in and if that was the case again yeah I'd go along with a lot of that um as as you mentioned, the possession stats, it's all it's all well and good. It looks nice, you know, on a graph or something like that. But um, you know, it's it's what you do with possession. And in our case again, it was just, you know, side to side, side to side, back inside to the other side, and and you know, and we carry on and people get into good positions to get crosses in. They cut back inside. You know, the first half was at the other end of the pitch. So maybe depth perception's a thing here, but it looked to me like we had a lot of shooting opportunities. And again, it's just, it's a pass. No one's prepared to take on that moment. We really, I think personally speaking, we need Graham Steele in the coaching staff. I think back to, uh, this is going back years. Remember Peter Hedorczyk, the Polish <laughs> trialist, I think Calderwood had. And he played, I think at Montrose and he just kind of dilly-dallied for a little bit. And Steele said, and I quote, just fucking hit it. And he did and he scored. So, you know. But it's a fair point because the, the first goal comes around from us try to play one pass too many again in and around the penalty area. Um, I was right behind it. The, the, the shot opened up for Hedges to take a to take a strike. Decides to try and play a little slide rule pass to, I think it was Ramirez, I can't remember who it was, he was trying to play it through to. Gets cut out, two passes quickly up the park from Dundee and they're in. And it's, it's almost, it's amateur stuff, that sort of ability to lose possession so quickly, have it turned over and concede a goal. Yeah, some of the stuff, well, amateur is the word, it's embarrassing. And, you know, it's not like we're, it's not like your midfield and defence are sort of all 35, you know, on their last legs. There's decent energy and pace in that team, in my opinion. But we always just seem to be getting caught out with, you're right, relatively, it's not like teams are tearing us apart. And Tom made an excellent point which I think we've been on record saying the possession stats are misleading because all we're doing is zipping it around at the back and the opposition is literally just counting down until we pretty much pass them the ball uh, and then they're in and all of a sudden it's panic stations and it's a chance or it's a goal um, and I, I don't know I don't know how you easily fix that I could probably stomach it a little bit better if we were trying to do something and you know just teams are better than us or they're you know it's a, it's a worldie something like that but when you're basically giving people a free hit. I don't really know how we're going to ever be getting the points if we are giving people, you know, a sort of one goal advantage every time. And let's not beat around the bush here. Dundee are, on paper on Saturday, the worst team in the league. And we made it so, so easy for them. It's not like we're making it difficult for teams to do this. That's this bog standard amateur hour stuff. I mean, looking at the first goal, I've yet to see an angle of the... Of the when the ball's passed to see a, a, a line where Griffiths is with Bates when the ball's played over. I'm going to go against the grain and suggest the linesman's got it right and he's called it correct. And if that's the case, David Bates has made an absolute fucking shocker because Griffiths collects the ball and he's about seven yards away from Bates. Yeah, I think, and the, the fact that it was, <laughs> all he needed to do was, was play a long ball over the top. It is like the sort of goal that teams lose in Sunday League. And I think the most concerning thing for me is, and I think we'll, we'll come on to it, but I, I think we have a good squad of players. I think we've got arguably the best squad of players relative 
the best squad of individuals relative to the strength of the league than we've had in 25 years. But we've got, a, and we've got like enormous depth on the bench, loads of players that would walk into other teams, but there's no cohesiveness between them. There's no, no game plan with what to do with them. There's not a, we're not playing, we don't seem to be playing to anyone's strengths. It seems to be that we're, we've not changed the, the, the setup, we've not changed the formation, particularly it's rotating in players and hoping something clicks and hoping something else happens. But it's simple things that are going wrong. It's simple things that should be working on the training ground. It, it, and, it, and it's defensively where I think we've got serious problems because Dundee are garbage. Ross County are garbage. Like those are one of those team, two teams will probably stay up this season and they are really, really bad football teams with not many redeeming qualities in it. And I think all credit to Dundee, they 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 defended well, they defended deep, they put bodies on the line when they needed to, and they got their tactics absolutely spot on. But I'm not sure that's a huge credit to them given how obvious it, it, it was to do it. But we've made some very, very, very average teams look a cut above the season. And that's a real worry, given that we've got decent players. There are decent players in there. Yeah, I think we'll move on to, the, I guess, the, where we think things are going wrong and everything in a minute. The second goal, for me, I tweeted about it uh, yesterday because it took me a while to find an angle of it. For me, there's question marks all over the place around it again. The defending for it is shocking. I'll get onto that in a minute. I've got huge question marks about Gary Woods' role in the goal. At the time at the ground, I didn't think it was in the corner. Um, when I saw it back again, it, it, it isn't the corner. It's a good three or four yards inside his post. His starting position when the shot is hit is terrible. He's at least one or two foot too far to the left-hand side. It's not a good goal from a goalkeeper's perspective, but at the same time, if you watch that still I tweeted out, um, Galkin and Bates are like, on you go, mate, have a shot. Ramsey's caught between a boy pulling out on his wing and he's mark, trying to mark Killian Sheridan in the middle of the park. Even more galling for me is when you look at it, where the ball is struck is dead centre of the penalty area, 18 yards from goal. We've got three central midfielders on the park. Scott Brown and Funes Wojo are about 20 yards away from the action. Lewis Ferguson's not even, you can't even see him on the screen. I don't know where he is. Ryan Hedges is the nearest player actually to the boy hitting the hitting the, 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 the shot that's not a defender. It's fucking terrible stuff. It's, it's, I actually think the second's worse than the first. Well, you mentioned, you talked um, what Tom said there about Dundee players putting their bodies on the line to, to block shots wherever they could. And as you say, David Bates and Gallagher are both there, both in front of the ball, and neither of them make any kind of effort to get in the way. And going back to a point about the fullbacks, and clearly, you know, this isn't something I can really label them because they're obviously level at them, sorry. They're always being told to play high up. So, and the issue there is, you know, Scott Brown, I've just watched this guy chase Charlie Adams' shadow for 90 minutes. I think it's time to start evaluating, you know, what he's actually bringing to the team in a playing perspective, because I'm not seeing much right now. And, well, I know we're going to talk about this in the preview, but right now we're, I'm finding this quite laughable. People keep saying that we're going to do better against better teams. Because right now, Hibbs and Martin Boyle must be looking at this and thinking, this is like, if I could set up an opponent, this is how I would do it. It's, just, it's so naive, so amateur, so just... And concerningly, I think Glass said afterwards that he, they've identified the problems, but the players are not capable of uh, implementing the solutions. 
which uh, either to me suggests a disconnect between the manager and the players or, you know, the solutions he's proposing are not in fact solutions. I'm not sure what he was trying to do. And even like going back through the game and looking at the, the, the stats and looking at what how it, how it played out. Like the the player who blocked the most blocks on the pitch was Johnny Hayes. The player who attempted the most tackles on the pitch from from Aberdeen was Johnny Hayes. Um, Jack McKenzie has more of the ball than than anybody else. Like attempted the most passes, tried, tried the most dribbles, all of these things. So we're we're assume I assume we're trying to get down the left-hand side, but our fullbacks, the one that's got most of the ball, our nominal left winger is the one who's doing the most of, the most proactive defensive work. Uh, what, what, how do you read anything into the game from that? If, what's the, what are the roles of each player? Like, who's, who's doing what? Um, and I think there's, if he's identified, I'll credit to him, if he's ident- genuinely identified what the problems are, then it will take a couple of days to digest them because there's a lot of them. I think um, you've, you've mentioned it more than once already, Tom. We've discussed it is people getting caught sort of higher up the pitch and we've all come to the, the view that that's the guidance they've been been given. So I'm, I'm singling out Mackenzie and Ramsey because they're the ones that would appear to be uh, getting caught out further up and we're assuming that's what they've been told to do. But it's not like this is a new thing. I mean, that's going back probably probably since day one and you know and day one for the first few games it was working and it looked ace because you know here we had a couple of young boys in the team attacking threat Aberdeen sort of pushing forward in a way that we maybe hadn't done previously and it was looking good but that's quite a few weeks now where that seems to be a deficiency that's there every single week and you can't take the view that if we can see it I have to assume Stephen Glass can see it the opposition can obviously see it so if he's identifying these things I don't see how he's I don't see what he's doing to correct that deficiency. And that seems to have been there for, uh, well, probably all season, albeit with a slight caveat that we were all quite content with it for the first few games because, you know, whether it was new and the opposition hadn't figured out, whatever it may be, it's a problem that's been there for a number of weeks now in the league. And I don't see what has been done to address that. I mean, I don't know how many times each game you look at Ramsey and he's got that face of, well, what am I supposed to do here? There's two of them at me. You know, or I've just been pushing on like I'm supposed to do. I'm now halfway up the pitch. Someone's burst in behind me. I'm now absolutely knocking my pan in to get back. And he's been doing that every you know, every week and he gets to sort of 75, 80 minutes. And he's absolutely out on his feet. And that's not me not criticising him in any way, shape or form. There's only so much a young man can do in terms of running up and down the pitch. So I'm a little bit concerned if he says he's seeing there are issues and he's identified solutions because I don't quite, I don't quite buy into that. I think that just just on that point, I think I from the first couple of, from the from the first European game, especially when it was exhilarating, it was really good fun. If I effectively, you know, it was Ross McCrory in the, the the back four. Effectively, we had two defensive players on the pitch, and one of them was Joe Lewis. Um, it it was kind of have that and deal with that. If that, even if that had gone right, even if that had, even if we'd won every game since and we'd carried the momentum. At some point, your plan B has got to be we need to sit on this game. There's got like at some point, whether it is you run into Rangers in form or you get into the Europa League group stages and you face like a, a real team that can tear you apart, at some point you need to be able to go, um, right, well, look, we, we've scored, we need to sit on this, or we just need to keep this tight for 80 minutes. Like the, the 
otherwise you are going to hand the momentum to the other sides. And I don't understand where the when this is going to kick in. Like it, it's the the we we have a wealth of attacking talent. Like we we could the second front three would be are a better front are better front options than almost everybody else in the league. But to constantly be swapping things around at the back, to constantly be rotating, to not seem to have anyone in the midfield whose job it is to cover, to constantly have this enormous gap between the two centre-backs and, and the midfield and nobody sort of tucking in and, and, and sitting, to have the fullbacks exposed as easily as they are when they're obviously meant to be the main attacking threat. All of these things are fairly basic, but in combination, it's kind of terrifying. There's a few other bits as well I'd like to pick out from that. I guess I'm playing devil's advocate on this one, and I know that the, the managers talked at length about individual errors costing us all season. But if you're Stephen Glass, right, you spend two weeks in that international break working on defensive shape. Let's just, I'm going to play, I'm going, I'm going to give them the benefit of doubt and suggest this is what they did and are working on ways to tighten up. If you're watching that on Saturday and you watch, again, I haven't seen an angle that definitively shows us what happened at the first goal, but if David Bates makes an absolute howler of a decision to step up or does it so badly that he plays Griffiths seven yards onside, it's difficult to legislate for that. You must be tearing your hair out watching that. And at the same for the second goal, it's just basic. That's what we spoke, spoke about. It's amateur hour stuff. And I know that other people have spoken about it. It's like, well, how many times can you blame individual errors before they become the cumulative? And it, it obviously the, the blame has to lie at the manager's door. But I mean, Christ, if you're standing there watching that, you would just be like, what am I meant to do with this? I think that's absolutely a valid point. We It can't be a continuing excuse, but you're right. Some of the decision-making from, say, relatively experienced players, and I echo the, the point Tom made, I think we've got good players. appreciate that might sound daft based on the run we're on. I do think we've got good players, but you're right. Some of those decisions that are being made, yeah, we are here and, you know, between the three of us of offline, you know, we've been talking about the manager and stuff like that, but it's an absolutely valid point. You can work on something for a couple of weeks and it might be going well and you think everyone knows what they're supposed to do. You know, if someone sells jerseys, there's not really much he can do. He's not on the pitch, is he? Although something fundamentally, in my opinion, has to then be wrong in the prep or what people have been asked to do if people are constantly making mistakes. Like I mentioned it before, generally speaking, you know, it it work if I'm making a mistake it's uh, you know maybe probably because I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing is generally why I'll do something wrong because it's not clear what is expected of me I hope your employers are not listening to this game <laughs> but I think you, you can almost like you can almost do it scientifically so mistakes happen because people aren't good enough they're under pressure mistakes happen because they happen just like something goes wrong you know act of God whatever it is or they happen because something there that you're being asked to do is incorrect. Now, if we're all in agreement, we've got good players. The mistakes are happening very frequently, so it can't just keep being freak occurrences and, and kind of act of God. Then we're kind of getting down to, at some point, these things that are going wrong have to be either, that, that are, are the managers, if not fault, but absolutely responsibility. So, Either it's something that he can see and fix on the training pitch because um, it, it's something that something to do with shape or something to do with formations or something that, to do with the, what the players are being asked to do, or 
like it needs to kind of read the riot act or put an arm around people or you or, or, or whatever it is that's not getting across to the players to motivate them if it's a motivational issue but one or once or twice you know yeah absolutely there were a couple of games that we've lost in this run where we didn't get a break or, we, or, or you know something that would have gone differently this Mirren game is a really good example where it just it turned on one decision I think probably a correct decision but it turned on that one decision and yeah you could say that that's completely out with his control but I think that repeated if things keep happening repeatedly and it, it can't be it can't be unlucky it's not that we've got bad players we've got better players than those around us then it, it has to be either in coaching or motivation so even trying to give the benefit of the doubt it's got it's got to be something the coaching staff have got fit I think um, the interesting for me there as you mentioned we lack that player in midfield perhaps that's got the energy to you know cover either the fullbacks cover the defenders and and maybe this is me just kind of going like going back on things I've said in the past, but we've I think we've got that player, and his name's Ross McCrory, but there's still this this stubbornness over, and I don't know why he didn't play on on Saturday or I wasn't in the squad. I assume an injury, but you know I'm getting more and more tired of watching Scott Brown, thinking he's still 25 years old. I, I, he's not having a positive effect on games right now, as far as I can see, and I do just think that it could be a time to make that change. And I think our best midfield will contain some variation of, of McCrory, Ferguson, and well, that's kind of concerning because I can't actually think who else. Well, it's interesting though, because I, I felt McGeeck actually did enough. Oh, Dylan McGeeck, yeah, that's fine, yeah. I felt McGeeck did enough in the 10, 15 minutes he came on against Celtic to justify actually getting a start against Dundee. I was so surprised to see Ojo being the guy that came back in when McGeeck is there. And I know people will look at that and go, well, McGeeck, Ferguson, Brown are too similar. Ojo, Brown, Ferguson are two similar players for me as well. I mean, I know that, you know, they're all trying to do different roles, but at the end of the day, they're, they're the same type of player. So asking them to do different roles is very difficult. It's not their natural makeup to do it. And I don't, it's a funny one. I don't think the midfield has been getting enough, enough exposure in recent weeks. Everyone's been talking about how bad we are at the back, rightfully so, because we're fucking terrible. Everyone's been talking about how we don't let we score goals and, it's again, it's a fair enough criticism to be leveled as we're not scoring enough. I think Ramirez showed actually on Saturday with that finish. I think there's enough about him as a as a finisher to, to stick with him. He needs somebody working up much closer to him up top. Um, I, I think there are goals in Ramirez if, if you give him chances. But the midfield three, again on Saturday, completely anonymous. We never really at any point, to me, felt like we, that we dominated the midfield area. Whenever Charlie Adam got in the ball, he was taking the rip I mean he, you know he, he nutmegged Scott Brown in the first, what, opening 20 minutes on the on the centre half and strode away from us though he wasn't there every time he got the ball he had plenty of space around it to spray passes around the players in, in space midfield for me did nowhere near enough on Saturday to, to give us a foothold in the game yeah I think that's fair and I think that's partly I don't want to like oversimplify it but I, I, I think partly it's a set up thing partly it's a personnel thing and probably probably a combination of the two of them i i i was going to say when you said that we've, we've got that that sort of sitting player in ross mccrory that i i think we've also got a sitting player in, in dylan mcgear i don't think necessarily brown is done as a force but i think that the way you get the best out of him is if he's 
not being asked to run around. He's not being asked to chase things. He's not being like he's asked to kind of keep control of keep control of the ball. He he still can play an incisive pass and he still can keep things moving forward. I think in theory, at the start of the season, if you'd said, how do you want us to set up? We'd have said, yeah, absolutely. We've got the players for, for this 4-3-3 and the idea behind it. But I don't think we're getting the best out of anyone from it. I think like Ramirez is not a lone, a lone striker. He's a very, very good finisher. He's very good at playing on the shoulder. He's very instinctive. He's, he's decent in the air. Um, but his hold-up play is not good. He can't. That, that's not what he's ever done in his... 30 years of, of playing. He needs to have somebody beside him. The the three that we've got, whatever version of that it is, they're all either two alike or someone is being asked to do something that's just not their not not their bag. And we're neither getting the cover at the back that we need by either playing, I don't know, Brown and either McCrory or McGee as sitting players, either as like an out and out sitting two. Or even not to make too simple, but like play a play a four four two and just keep it get get the get the simple things right and just have your two central midfielder players sitting and protecting your defence. And if the plan is to get the fullbacks attacking, then fine, let them attack. But at least we've got a, a, a central unit where we're we're locked down, and you'd have somebody. It, it's one of many many problems, but I think persisting with the system that we've got isn't getting the best out of anyone we've got. I'm going to move us on to the system in a minute or two. Um, the other thing I just want to touch on is if it wasn't for the fact Calvin Ramsey and Jack McKenzie have got something about them um, as young players, which which I love. They've got a bit of dig about them. They've got a bit of belief about them. I don't want to say they've got arrogance about them, but they believe in their own ability. Um, you, you saw that with Jack McKenzie, you know, what, willing to get involved and get in a scrap with the Dundee bench on on Saturday afternoon. We're fortunate, I think, that these kids have got character about them because I'd be desperately concerned right now otherwise about how much damage you could be doing to young kids by continually putting them in these situations where they're being exposed time and time and time again, where they're being asked to be our most creative outlet. You know, if we're not careful, you could really damage some of these guys' careers going forward. Yeah, well, that's um, given Stephen Glass's prior experience um, in coaching, management and coaching you'd expect uh, more of them in that sense and as I think we've talked every week about players playing in positions that they can't play in or people being left exposed and yeah I mean managers got to take a whole lot of responsibility here in terms of that and responsibility in terms of his um, his role within these players development it's fair and I mean if the, I think if the if the plan and we'll, we'll touch on this a, a bit more but if the if part of the supposed grand plan is to be bringing more player, young players through and more of them through, that some of them are going to be less resilient than uh, than Ramsey and McKenzie, and you can't just throw them in and hope they're there to carry the can because there's, there's, there are far too many senior. I mean, there are what 14, 15 full internationals in the squad, and it's the guys who are like no, it's the guys barely out their teens or te- a teenager who are the go-to guys uh, and yeah that might be bit partly by design but it's a hell of a ask them, them. it's it? a huge ask yeah i mean mckenzie for me was our best player in the park on zard um yeah by by a huge huge distance as well um you know and you look at guys like i look at the last 10 15 minutes of the game and 
we get the goal and you kind of think, right, momentum shifts should happen here. We should be really trying to get get it done, the, put them under pressure, let's try and get something. Because at that point, you know how it is in football, if you get a quick equaliser, you, the chances are you're probably going to win the game. And it didn't materialise. And we let Dundee turn it into a, a, a shithouse last 15, 20 minutes. It got scrappy. It was niggly. The game was broken down. The majority of our players on the pitch on Saturday are experienced guys. They know what this is about. None of them took that by the scruff of the neck on, on Saturday. And, you know, people, you know, Scott, I expect a lot more from Scott Brown. I said it after the St. Mirren game, when we went out of 10 men. That for me is an, an exact is a game where I'd expect more, where a guy who's been there, seen it, done it multiple times around the block in Scottish football would have taken that game by the scruff of the neck and, and helped see that out. Lewis Ferguson, he's still a young lad, but he's experienced at first-team level in Scottish football. Ojo is an experienced player. He's been around the park. He's been around for a while. There's enough experience in there that we should be dealing with that much better, and it just didn't materialise. And that, for me, was just as disappointing. And not just that... It's not just that they're not taking the game by the scruff of the neck when the game's getting away from them. It's that nobody's going, even 25 minutes in, this, we need to step up. We need to step this up. We need to change the pace of this. We need to, whatever it is we are doing at the moment is tepid and sideways and it is not working. Now, it's easy to just single out Scott Brown because he's Glass's man on the park and should be doing that. And he definitely, he definitely, he definitely should be. But there are so many other players. Like I say, there's there's 14, 15 players that have played at international level, um, at reasonable for reasonable quality in nations that need to be going right. Like I am going to make a, a, a difference on this now, rather than oh shit, right two 0 down. We better actually, we better actually do something about that. It's once the game's gone. I mean, we've we've seen every kind of limp submission in the last few weeks. You know, we've seen the the late. We've seen that. Oh well, we'll just settle for a nil nil and lose it. We've seen the games where we've been ahead and just shucked it through ill discipline and just and never having any confidence that we weren't going to concede a goal. This was a new kind of shite where it was like. Well, look, we've made a couple of mistakes. Okay, fine. Right now, we'll get going. We're not asking questions. The whole thing seems—it's been like you described the Cormac interview reactionary. The whole club feels reactionary at the moment. You know, the, the interview this evening, performance in the picture, absolutely right. It does seem to be. Sometimes we concede, and there's no noticeable reaction, but more often than not, there is. And you think, well, where was this? And you know, I keep banging on about it I don't think it's a lack of quality but something's not right with the setup of the attitude and you're right nobody ever on the pitch seems to be saying yeah we're we're kind of in this game but why don't we really try and step up get that first goal and and go for it it just seems to be oh well we haven't conceded yet but we haven't scored we'll just tick along it's half time it's an hour then you and then the inevitable does happen and then where they don't change or it's too late to then just suddenly decide with 15 minutes left, you're going to go and score a couple of goals and win 2-1. Yeah, I mean, that's maybe enough from Saturday um, or the game itself on Saturday. But I guess it's important to look at the wider ramifications and the discussion points that fall off the back of Saturday now, I think. I mean, <clears throat> I highlighted it just in the review of the game itself. It went 2-0 and it's exactly as we thought it might happen. And we, we, we mentioned it in last week's show that 
It's a six o'clock kickoff at Dundee, big travelling support, well lubricated. If things go wrong, it could get a bit toxic, and that's exactly what happened. Um, the manager came in for some pretty significant stick during the game, and it's difficult, I think, for me to find a way back for a manager from that perspective once the support once a vocal element of support i'm not saying that this is representative of what everyone thinks but when a, a, a vocal element of support turns like that i can't think of too many examples where a manager's been able to turn that around no and, and i think it's a bit disingenuous it's either disingenuous or like massively massively flawed for, for on, on Cormac's interview tonight, she said that other supports do this, like the, the Hibs fans turned on Jack Ross this time last season, uh, the Hearts fans turned on Robbie Nielsen. The Hibs fans turned on Jack Ross when they were they were doing all right, but they just weren't doing as well as, you know, they, they had put some, he ha, and he, he had cash in the bank, like he had, he had a track record. They'd lost a couple of games or they hadn't won a couple of games that they, they should have won. It, it wasn't, you know, when the top six runs, bad runs in the history of the club or anything like that. And the Hearts fans were pissed off because they'd been playing shite but were top of the league. I mean, it, it's not quite the same thing. I don't I don't know where he comes back from this, not just because the run, it's got to be an almighty turnaround in fortunes and defensive solidity and and cohesiveness in the next month to be able to get something or to be able to get enough from the next few games to give up to give them a platform to do anything for the rest of the season I think even if there was you know Stephen if it takes nine points in the next five games which at the start of the season you wouldn't have said was a huge stretch given the squad I fundamentally don't think he knows how to fix things in the long term. I don't I think there are so many, there are so many holes, there are so many questions. I, I think I was intrigued. I, it, it, Stephen Glass was not who I wanted and not who I would have picked, but I think it, fine if they if they genuinely did see something and he he talked well and he'd done his coaching badges and he knew everything that he needed to know. Okay, we'll give him we'll give him a shot. But the the biggest fears of the Aberdeen fans when he was appointed was he doesn't really know what he's doing. He's got no experience at this. We're now 16 games in and it doesn't appear that he knows what he's doing and he doesn't appear to have the experience for this. Like I said to you, outside the ground, he's done. He's done. Um, it's a matter of when, not if. Um, I can't see any world in which we win any of the next three games. I've tried racking my brain to think of an example and I can't imagine the cases of Hibs and Hearts were as extreme as what it was like on Saturday. Um, and the only, the only person I can perhaps think of is Alan Pardew at Newcastle. And that was just a case of a stubborn owner, you know, sticking by his decision to the detriment of the club. The difference there is I think Dave Cormack's ego will not allow him to um, leave things in such a situation where we end up in a genuine relegation battle um, this year, which is where we're heading right now. That's the teams in and around us there. You know, Livingston got a good result at the weekend. Dundee beat us, you know, we're being spared right now by the managerial capacity of Malky Mackay, to be quite honest with you. So, yeah, he's done. And, yeah, I see I see no way back. When you say he's done, though, Gav, do you mean he's done for you as in you you don't want him there anymore or you see it that just the way things are now, the way that the fans have turned on Saturday just means he, there's no way back from him, basically? Um, a little from column A and a little from column B. 
Okay, fair enough. I mean, I guess the, the, the devil's advocate thing too about Hearts would be that they did get pumped out the Scottish Cup by a Brora Rangers, so let's just not forget that. We can all have a good old fucking laugh about that still tonight. And you're saying we won't get any wins out the next three games. We are playing Hibs on Saturday, so, you know. It would be incredibly Hibs to give us a favour here, but as I made mention to you earlier, with the attacking players they have, we are the absolute dream team for them <laughs> to be up against. So, uh, Also, about a week ago, we were sitting here saying, well, we are playing Dundee on Saturday. That didn't work <laughs> out too well for us, so be careful what you say. Graham? I don't know is the honest answer. I flip-flop between what a mess and you know people that people that know more than I do about football and I don't mean necessarily you know PR from the club you know Tommy Hoban last week mentioned it takes time to change things so I I haven't been I've never been in that situation or have never played football at any level been part of a team gone through anything like this so as a fan yeah it's garbage Uh, that that's a fact you can't get away from that People who know more than I do say it takes time to make changes. So I'm, I try to take that on board. But the thing is, I, I don't see what is changing. You know, everything we've discussed and faults from Saturday are faults that have existed for the last few few weeks. You know, it's not like we're knee-jerking it here and this has come out of a couple of bad results and we're all calling for the manager's head. It's a really poor run without any tangible signs of improvement, in my opinion. Set aside the stats and possession and all the rest of it, because most of our possession, like we said, is knocking it around the back until we give it away and we concede. I don't really see I don't I don't really see what he can do to change, as in what, what he will do to change this. I'm not I'm not of the opinion that you know that's him now he should be done, but I am of the opinion that we you know we're gonna come through October with you know Hibs Rangers hearts left I mean that's a tough run at the best of times I think we would probably all agree on that never mind in the current form then you've got Motherwell Dundee United Celtic you know takes you through November I feel like if you've got if you've not got anything out of that both in terms of points and actual improvement on the pitch as in some of the deficiencies we've identified start to get addressed I don't really see where you where'd you go from there because you're then in the point of if, if you're going to do it, you have to do it in December. Get a guy in for a few games, get a transfer window and try and push on in the second half. If you run it later, you you just get a guy in who's like, oh, they're not my players. You know, I don't have time to change it. And you've got dross for the second half of the season. So I, I wouldn't do anything now, but I feel like it's probably another four or five games. And then I feel like that's enough of a sample size to say that this isn't working. And if we are still down at the bottom and the other teams were still have picked up the odd result, um, I don't see how you can make a case for anything other than than changing it. I, I, I If it was me and it was my club, you'd have two games. I think there, uh, there is not... You don't fire a manager because you have bad results. You fire a manager because you lose faith that he knows how to fix it. And I think after what will be... So if we got if we got to the stage where we we played everyone once, and we are still sitting on, you know, under ten points to to, fi- to finish in the top six, which is not even the bare minimum. The fin- the, the top six is like we're not even getting pass marks. So you're getting like a D minus to get the top six. You probably need 44, 45 points. If after 
12 games, we're sitting on 10, then we need to start racking up points very, very quickly soon after. My problem wouldn't be necessary. Isn't the, the problem that I have now is, is twofold. One is I don't think Glass knows how to fix it. Secondly, I genuinely think that you could put almost any other manager in the top flight in that job and they'd do a better job. Um, and there are some hopeless managers in the Scottish top flight that I wouldn't want anywhere near the job long term. But I think most of them, yeah, yes, there's been wholesale changes. Yes, there is almost literally an entire new 11 playing from, from this time last season. And yeah, it did need the, the cage well and truly did need rattled. But I, I, I don't see what, if you're, if you've got no faith that in a year's time it's going to be better, even if results pick up and we finish seventh, if you've got no faith that come the end of the season, even if you stay up, or even if you finish in the bottom six, that, that there is going to be some, it's going to click at some point with this group of players, then what's the point? I think, um, so the reason why I would say that I'm in a little from column A, a little from column B, well, column B is pretty obvious because I was in the stand at Dens Park and I heard the fans. Uh, column A is, as we've kind of made mention of, for me, the best football we've played this season was Hecken, uh, Breathablick and Dundee United at home when the team were more or less thrown together, playing off of instinct, you know, like you do when you're, you know, playing five sides with a random group of lads, you work out each other's strengths and weaknesses very quickly. And, you know, you just play naturally. My issue is that we've, with two, what, two international breaks, um, so a substantial amount of coaching, all I see is regression in terms of the actual way we, uh, the club operates and the first team operates. And, you know, we talked about this philosophy and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, all these little nice little buzzwords in football. Again, I go back to Saturday. I can think of occasions where it's the same story as was against Celtic, where playing out from the back means Gary Woods passes it five yards to Declan Gallagher. Declan Gallagher strides forward five yards and then shells it. So that to me indicates that either one, the players are losing faith or two, the manager's lost faith, and I can think of directors of football in the past who have made mention that, as Tom said, it's not results that dictate your decision to replace a coach. It's when you see the coach um, diverting from his ideals and his and his beliefs. And yeah, that's where I think we are right now. Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm I'm really torn on this one at the moment because all of us, any true Aberdeen fan, will have wanted Stephen Glass to succeed. Everybody has their their doubts around the way in which he was appointed, and we'll come on to that later on, I think. At the end of the day, for me, Stephen Glass, you know, um, he was never going to turn the job down when he was offered it. He'll have had enough self-belief himself to, to decide he could take it on and go for it. You can't begrudge him that. That's We would all do it. Let's, let's, let's not beat around the bush on that. We would all take the opportunity if we got it. And I, I desperately, desperately want him to succeed. And still to this moment, I, I really want him to turn this around and be able to stick two fingers up to a lot of people who've doubted that you could take a manager off who's not from the usual merry-go-round in Scottish football. You can take a guy from outside the, the usual figures. You can try and implement a different way of playing and you can make it work and you can do something really good with it. I, I desperately want that to happen. We talked about in the very first episode of this podcast about how this was going to be a season that was going to be difficult. It wasn't going to be plain sailing. 
was wholesale changes needed if we were going to try and play the type of football we were being promised. It was going to be up or down. Playing young players is never a guarantee of results. You're going to have rough patches. And maybe, I don't know, maybe personally I've become a bit welded to, to seeing that through and trying to see positives in some of the games so far this season where maybe those positives didn't necessarily exist. But Saturday to me was probably the second or third game now this season when I've gone, I see very little. I see I, Saturday I saw nothing positive in it at all, nothing. There was nothing in that that made me go, I can see what we're trying to do. I can see what we're trying to achieve. It just looked confused. It just looked wrong. And the biggest concern for me, Tom, you've touched on it, Gav, you've touched on it already, is this stubbornness on the system. I think the system's killing us. I really do. And I, I can't understand how, you know, you, I can sit in the stand and I'm not a, I've not gone through largs. I've, I've not got my badges. For me, the system's just not working. And I can't understand how the manager and his coaching staff are not seeing that. And part of me worries, I don't know if you guys saw the Graham Hunter interview with Stephen Glass a couple of weeks ago, and I think I mentioned it at the time. There was something around it where he, he talked about how he saw changing too often as being a sign of weakness. I was like, okay, on one hand, I get that. You you want to stick to your belief, you want to stick to your philosophy, etc. But there's also the same point that that just becomes stubbornness for stubborn sake and is that old adage about, you know, what's the definition of madness, et cetera, doing the same thing repeatedly and expecting different results. And I look at where we are just now and I go, it's starting to eke into that madness territory for me. And I really want him to turn it around. I really do. Um, he's a guy who, for me, the age I'm at, the generation I'm at, he was a fantastic footballer for Aberdeen. Loved him as a footballer. For me, he was like the second coming of Ian Jess at the time knows what it means to be here. We deserve him an enormous amount of gratitude for the 94-95 season where he stepped up as a young player in that last few weeks, helped pull us out of an absolute hole there. I really wanted to work out for him, but right now I'm like, I just, I really struggle to see it happening and I'm concerned, really, really concerned about where we go. Yeah, I think all of, all of the above. And I think my, almost another layer of it, I think there is both, there is both that stubbornness to not make changes. And, and like you said, you know, maybe he sees that as weakness that you stick to your guns but he's not sticking to his guns either like he's sticking to the system he's sticking to the idea that it's almost like like I, I get it if you're Barcelona if you're Barcelona and you've got the system if you're I don't know like if you're Inter Milan and you've got a, a way of playing and there's a like it's in your blood and there's a heritage to it that yeah you want to bring someone in who's going to do it a certain way and I totally understand that we wanted to bring someone in that's going to play attacking football and 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 go for it um, completely understand with all of this, but you don't you don't play attacking football by not having an anchor in the midfield. You don't play attacking football by effectively committing eight men forward every time you've got the ball. You've got no threat coming through the middle unless it falls to Ramirez six yards out, and so you're you're sticking to your guns on the system. You're sticking to the guns that almost like this. This particular system throughout the whole history of football is this is the one that you stick to. This is this is the winning formula. While chopping and changing everywhere else, while there's not really been an opportunity for anyone to to strike up partnerships. Partly that's unfortunate with injury. Partly, you know, he's not had the chance to to play his preferred centre back pairing for any amount of time. He's not he's he's changed around the midfield a lot, changed around the attack a lot. But you know, there 
changing changing goalkeepers. Yeah, Joe Lewis has not had a great season, but it's going to take time for him to build up a repartee with the the, the defence as well. So I'm just not a. I disagree with the with the idea of the philosophy, but I also don't think he's following through on the philosophy either. Um, and like you say, he was he was he was one of my favourite players when I was younger. The that season you mentioned and like the the, the goal against Rangers um, and the the League Cup final and you you know he's one of our own and you want it to work and for all the doubts about the process and the manner that he was appointed and the inexperience and and what he hadn't done elsewhere fine the 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 staff he had around about him the experiences he's kind of drawn on elsewhere you hoped that that would be enough. But I, I, I'm as hard. I think I'm as hardline as I can be, and I, I really want him to still turn around and <laughs> stick two fingers up to me. But I, I don't see it. I, I would, I'd call it in the next two games. On that as well. I mean, this 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 question can I guess for everyone relates to two parts here. One, the coaching staff that he's got around him: um, <clears throat> Alan Russell, Scott Brown, and, and Henry Appleu. I mean, between them. There's no experience of coaching at this level in this environment. For me, that was a big warning sign at the time when Glass came in the door that nobody within the club said, listen, maybe it would be a good idea to to bring in a level of experience somewhere here, someone who knows the game here. I mean, Alan Russell, Gav, I know you're going to, you've already got a couple of bullets lined up in the chamber on this one. So I'll, I'll, I'll let you with that one in a minute. You know, Scott Brown, He's coming in to learn his trade as a coach. So for me, you kind of put that to one side at the moment. He needs to make a decision if he's here as a coach or if he's here as a player, one of the two. Fine, you can learn your trade doing it. Henry Appleby is another guy that we know nothing about. Um, he might very well be the, the greatest mind from an analytical perspective, a tactical perspective. We, you know, you may be an earth a gem. I'm not against fishing in a different pond to try and find guys because that's what we have to do as a football club to to innovate and to, to 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 move forward is hopefully find diamonds somewhere that no one else is looking for them that's all fine but the, the point i was kind of getting to is that with glass and apple especially and, and russell i suppose to an extent here because russell's recent experience at top levels with the england national team um but for glass and apple coming from the american environment i'll probably get into a lot of stick for this saying this but in American sports, generally speaking, right, the pressure about winning and losing games of games, games of football, games of American football, basketball, whatever, it's not fundamentally the same as it is in the top flight in Scottish football. And I'm going to say that especially about soccer in America. People go there for a day out. It is what it is. There's no relegation. There is no pressure like that. Teams want to play nice, sexy football, They'll all do it. There's no real consequence about not winning games, you know? Okay, managers might get sat and move, but it's not the same as, as it is here. Let's just not, let's not pretend that it is. And so I, I do wonder if, like, Glass has been away from Scottish football for a while now. Has he kind of, for, kind of forgotten, I guess, what that's like? And then, like, a guy like Apollo has never experienced it. He might be great on the analytics stuff, might be great in the tactical side, but doesn't necessarily understand that level right now until he's here long enough to learn that from it's a curve and that's too long for a club like Aberdeen to be treated as a as a, as a training ground for somebody in short yes uh, <laughs> I think 
I, I mean, I, there are soccer cities, you know, there are cities where it does matter and there are cities where it does, it, it is a hub and people do, there is a different level of like heart in it. And I think I, I mean, like Glass spent the majority of his career playing at a really, really high level and, and must understand it. And, and Scott Brown's understood the, exactly what Scottish football he's known nothing but the biggest criticism of Scott, of Scott Brown's career is he's known nothing but the goldfish bowl that is Scottish football but the point on but I think you're spot on about the point of it being a, an experiment and they're not being they're not being anybody here who has been through something similar or who understands what you need who understands like I've never been in a dressing room but I whether it's the players need an arm around them or they need a like a, a, a rocket, both of those options, knowing when to use either of those th- those those options from a coaching perspective, we, there isn't anyone there. There isn't anyone that, that's done that. Um, and that's where I think there's a bit of listlessness and even the Glass's comments, not to go back to the Dundee game, but even the, the, the comments after that did kind of suggest that, you know, I, I think I know I identify what's going wrong, but I also understand the consequences of not doing well. And there was like an air of resignation there rather than coming out swinging. I don't think it's necessarily integral to Stephen Glass or an outsider coming in to have that quote unquote experienced Scottish presence in the coaching staff, where I would say it's good to have would be in the director of football role, but We'll talk about that in just a few moments, I'm sure. Um, with regards to, you know, the coaching staff that, have, that we have right now, I make reference again to what I've said earlier. As far as I can see, with regards to the coaching of the team, it has led to nothing but regression. And when it comes to Alan Russell, I mean, <laughs> all we heard for like a summer was how this guy was integral to this guy was important in Harry Kane becoming the player he is. I'm going to throw out there, I don't think he is. I don't think that Harry Kane scoring a couple of headers against Panama means that Al Russell is some kind of revolutionary set piece, you know, mastermind. I just, I kind of want to be that, that gif where it's like, dude, what would you say it is you do here? Because, you know, all I've watched recently is, you know, we went back to it again on Saturday. It's our corners and our free kicks. It's the Calvin Ramsey pitching wedge comes out right into the goalkeeper's arms. And as I said earlier, as Tom's made reference to, we've got no attacking threat through the center unless unless Kristen Ramirez just happens to get a tap in. And there's nothing going out, nothing coming about from our wide attacks um, beyond our fullbacks. So... And uh, to be quite honest, I found his appointment to be the way it was announced to be very disingenuous because there was apps, it was presented as if he was giving up so much to come to Aberdeen. And there is absolutely no way he was keeping that gig with England as soon as that story about him and his brother came out. So in which case, if the club didn't know about it, then you know what, fine. But if that's the kind of values and people that we want involved in our club, then that speaks to um, something about the present leadership that I'm not overly happy with. If they did know about it and still carried on, then, well, yeah, either way, it's not great. But um, anyway, that's enough about Russell for one night. 
that was a lot tamer than I was expecting, Gal. I'm not going to lie. Oh, uh, well, I thought calling him a fraud last night was a little bit too harsh. <laughs> Graham, do you have anything to add on the coaching side, do you think? or No, uh, a quick summary would be, I want Stephen Glass to succeed, not because of Stephen Glass, because he's the manager of Aberdeen Football Club. doesn't matter who's the manager. I want him to be successful, because that's what we all want. On the coaching, Scott Brown, wealth of experience, but a wealth of experience in a team that's generally battering everyone, week in, week out, a different kettle of fish to what he's facing at Aberdeen. You know, Apollo, Russell, I don't have a criticism of people. You can't criticise people for not having experience, but you can criticise leaders for putting them in that role. And the fact that he doesn't have experience in Scottish football doesn't really put me up or down. I just don't like the idea of Aberdeen being the experiment. So I understand you've got to get experience sometime and someone has to give you that chance. But I feel like they're stepping stones. And in my opinion, the, the steps they have taken were quite big. They've missed a couple of levels that you'd normally have to go through to get to what, in my opinion, is a decent gig and a club of a reasonable stature, and that's Aberdeen. The fact that he hasn't been a coach in Scotland it doesn't, doesn't bother me because he could have been coaching in the MLS for 10, 15 years in the top division, wealth of experience, and that, that would have looked totally different. And final point, and I realise I've said this a million times, it's the Atlanta thing also irks me that there is absolutely no danger he'd have got that. I mean, I'm speculating, I don't know for a fact, but it's my opinion there's no danger he'd have got that job if there wasn't that link up because we've it's just not a market we've looked at. And I, I refuse to believe that um that he was a standout candidate. I would have been saying the same thing if the things were going well. I would still be in the opinion that I don't, you know, that's why he got the job because of Atlanta. But obviously, it's a slightly different point of view because we'll all be saying, well, it's working, so maybe we're less concerned. But um, yeah, I think otherwise I'm just going to be rambling and repeating myself. That's pretty much where I stand. Well, let's move on to the esteemed leader. Um, we've, we're recording this just um, minutes after the, the blockbuster appearance of Dave Cormack on uh, BBC Sports Sound. Decided not to take up the ABZ Football Podcast offer um, for a Q&A, which is disappointing to note, but never mind. We'll, we'll let you off with that one, Dave. Graham, you've kind of touched on it because ultimately all of these decisions um, come from, from the leadership from the top. And you, you talked about people being left to hang out to dry. And I kind of feel a little bit Stephen Glass has been left a little bit to hang out to dry um, in a way with everything that's gone on since he was appointed. Um, but let's, I think with Dave Cormack, you can, you can, there are two parts to this. One part is the kind of softer stuff which I think he's done an okay job on since coming in. Um, things around trying to improve the atmosphere at the ground, the red sheds, blah, blah, blah. Fine. These are all things I think that the support were kind of crying out for, for somebody to want to try and make the, the atmosphere at Pathology better, to, to try and congregate you know, people who want to sing together, you know, put a bit of lick of paint on parts of the ground because it was looking tired. Easy things, easy things to do to, to get people on side. But things that should have been done years ago, the ground was looking terrible under the previous, you know, stewardship. Freshed up a bit, fine. That's all That's all gravy. On the football side of things, though, I mean, the last couple of weeks have, have, not, have not gone well for, for Dave Cormack. Let's not beat around the bush with this. Weird tweets. Say We spoke about this in, in <clears throat> at length on last week's episode, that tweet that came out last week about how him and other members of the board didn't want to say anything for fear of being taken out of context. 
another esteemed podcast pointed out tonight that lasted for one game and a defeat and a whole pile of criticism before he was then on the phone to the BBC wanting some airtime to go on and have a, a shout with Kenny McIntyre. I didn't listen to the interview. I'm only going on what people have said online. Um, Tom, Graham, I think you guys did listen to it. Um, maybe maybe that's a, a, a place to start with just now. Just the impressions about actually, you know, the interview tonight and what that's done or what that hasn't done to allay any fears. I'll speak on behalf of myself here. I'm not really sure it's helped matters. It maybe deflects attention to Dave Cormack and away from seeing glass in the headlines tomorrow. That's not necessarily a good thing, and I, I'm not really sure that um, I'm not sure it was the best use of his time. And really, it it doesn't control the situation. It doesn't appear that Aberdeen Football Club are in control of the situation. It wasn't particularly polished, in my opinion. I mean, fair enough. You, you know, he, he did it, and I suppose that's better than 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 nothing. I felt it could have been handled a little bit better. And for what it's worth, there's a lot of stuff in there that I didn't agree with. Um, but I'm sure he's not too concerned about that. I, I'm not sure. I mean, if I could sum it up in a word, I'm not sure this is, is ill-advised one word. Or... For the purposes of this, yes, it is. For the purposes of this, right, ill-advised. Um, if the point of it was to firefight and the point of it was to kind of downplay the run of form and the the run of losses and and the, the genuine like palpable anger after an absolutely rotten performance over the weekend, uh, and to ease the pressure on the manager, it did not do that. It it raises more questions than it answered. Um, it was, and I I can understand why people get confrontational with journalists. I can understand why answering the same questions over and over again is frustrating. I can understand why repeating yourself when you've got on the record reasons for appointing Stephen Glass um, and he's your guy and you're, you're going to back him. All of, I can understand all of that. And, and just as a, as a, to caveat all of this, I, I think, he, I think Cormac's done a very good job on the comms side largely and on the soft stuff and on the easy wins. And I do think it's good that he's, he's more transparent and he's willing to talk about things and, and, He's there on Twitter, even though he's obviously searches his own name, as we were just mentioning. But I think that if you if your comment is going to be no comment or I don't want to talk about this right now for fear of stoking more up, don't talk about it. Don't go on the record and say, I didn't want to say anything because it would just pile the pressure on the manager. Because if you say that, it piles pressure on the manager. You're writing the back pages for like anything a Scottish football chairman says is newsworthy. It, like if if they came out and talked about like the, the you know if the chairman of Dundee United comes out and talks about the price of ice cream in Dundee, that is newsworthy to, to the people of Dundee. Coming out and talking about the pressure that the, the, the media is putting on and the fact that um you've had phone calls from opposition chairman congratulating you on how well the team's doing because of the stats and the fact you've dominated possession and sooner or later the, the our, our luck's got to turn it's ammo it like it, it you've just written the whole back page for the tabloids tomorrow about it wasn't controlled it wasn't it, it did not come across like a man who has taken a deep breath and has the utmost faith in what's coming next. It comes across, it came across and 
whether this is the case or not, I, I don't know, but it, it certainly came across as someone who was incredibly rattled by the criticism of his appointment and the results and the questions that were being put to him, which are totally legitimate questions. Like there's lots of times in Scottish football, Scottish football journalists, but illegitimate questions to, to uh, Aberdeen uh, staff. This is not the case. These are these are totally legitimate questions. And to come across so confrontational, hard line, and to to really dig your heels in on this when you could have just said nothing at all. And he's and and the outcome of that would have been less pressure on the manager, a bit more wiggle room if in four weeks' time it's all gone to shit and you need to make a, a decision. Um yeah, I just don't know what the advice was. And like I say, I, I largely commend him for being more media savvy or, or being more media available and talking about what he wants for the club and talking about the direction and things. But there's also just a time to shut the fuck up. I think I saw it described by somebody as he was out of control like a shop. Uh, sorry, he was all over the shop like an out of control trolley. Accurate. <laughs> I mean, by all accounts, by the sounds of it, you give the guy a Lithuanian accent, give him a submarine to roll around in and, you know, call him Vladimir Romanov, we're here taking the piss. So, you know. They won two cups, though. <laughs> I'd swap it at the moment. All I would say is rattled is a good way. Rattled is a good way to describe it. And it, it had the feeling of someone who's drafted up an email and then neglected to go for lunch and come back. You know, he's just pushed send and thinking, that's a good idea. Come back. And thought, nah, that was stupid. Shouldn't have done that. That's kind of how it came across to me. If you run what you're going to say by by someone, and presumably there's like calmness people on hand, if you're going to run by what you're, if you run by what you're going to say, and their reaction is, I think other fans of other clubs might laugh at this, then you're probably on the wrong lines. This is the thing I find a bit mad to hear people say that it sounded out of control and no kind of media savvy person would have approved this to go out because we've had to deal with the the, the media, the comms folk at, at Pataudry to, to try and, you know, get various bits and pieces done. And it, it's not an easy thing to secure access to people um, at Pataudry. The, you know, there's a, there's a reluctance, I think, on the part of a lot of people to do it. Um, I understand why that can be sometimes. I think sometimes it's disingenuous to not, pretend that actually you know fan media is a thing now and actually there's maybe some merit in actually going out there and, and embracing it to an extent i'm not saying that we want access all areas to every tom dick and harry and all that kind of good stuff but there's there's ways and means of doing it um, and that, i'm kind of really surprised to hear then that that happened tonight which makes me just think it's a case of he's probably just gone fuck it i'm doing it and i don't care what x y or z has to say about it i'm doing it and i think i can do it and i'll go and pull it off um and it sounds like it's backfired. And Tom, you know, you're right. I mean, like a, a lot of people, we tongue in cheek tweeted about, you know, the offer for Q&A is there. But the reason we did it was because, well, you're right. I think we all appreciate. Do we all appreciate it? I don't know. I'm mean, kind of in two minds about this sometimes. It's nice from one extent to have a chairman who's more willing to put himself out there and will engage on a level. But then he, he kind of like, he sets himself up to fail sometimes with this by being too over-exuberant, too chipper when things are going well, tends to disappear when things are not going too well. We saw it even with McInnes where like 
you know, I'll do a question and answer in a couple of weeks and then results went to shit and then it was, oh, I'm not going to do that question and answer now because I'm too worried about the fact that that might get taken out of context or whatever. And it's like, well, don't set an expectation that you're going to do something because that makes it look weak. In my perspective, that doesn't look like a leader to not follow through on stuff. That that looks weak. And so that was why we kind of tongue in cheek tweeted about that yes it was like well you know we're here we'll do it we'll facilitate it for you if there's too much of an issue with the club doing it come on let's do it let's talk because people have got valid questions that they want to ask about it and it goes back to me as well around the fact that Gav you spoke about last week I think Graham Hunter spoke about it on episode one with us Stephen Glass has come into the role and we've all got our views about whether that appointment was and I'm using inverted commas here above board and there was a, a proper process followed to bring Stephen Class into the building. I think that tonight Dave Cormack doubled down on that again and indicated that he, you know, he was the outstanding candidate from people they spoke to. I'm not entirely convinced that they spoke to anybody, but never mind. That's all fine. But what that's done, the way that Glass's appointment came around, almost immediately put pressure on Glass because it was instantly viewed by a lot of the support that he got the job because of nepotism, because he was Dave Cormack's mate. And that instantly puts him on the back foot as soon as results go wrong. And in that situation there, Glass kind of almost really needs a really, really, really strong chairman standing behind him, backing him to the hill. And it doesn't sound as though that's kind of what happened tonight. In, in a roundabout way, it's almost piled a bit more pressure on him. Well, I would I would pick up um, two points that I've heard being quoted, um, which was that Stephen Glass was the outstanding candidate, yes. But one of those one of the criteria that made him that outstanding candidate is that he was not interested in having control over transfers. The the quote, or the the wording was along the lines of 80% of the managers that applied wanted to manage all of the recruitment. And that's not something that, you know, Aberdeen wanted as a club. Therefore, 20% of the managers got past the first round, if you like, because they were happy to have that dictated to them. And that makes it, that's an even more interesting question then, which is, Okay, so the club wanted to set up a scenario where there's a head of recruitment, clearly, reporting to a director of football, and they'll handle transfers in and out. They, that will not be in the remit of the of the manager. But yet we appoint a manager before appointing a director of football and a head of recruitment. I, I think there's also question marks over if there is a if there is somebody in charge of recruitment. So over the summer, we whether whether it's ever gonna happen or not, but we go from we, we put a bid in for Martin Boyle. So you think, right, okay, so whoever's in charge of recruitment has identified a pacey, wide player that we need to bring in. A bit of experience, international quality, fantastic. There's money to spend. Did we go for another one? No. Andrew Considine gets injured. There's still time to bring in another left-sided centre-back, so we need to, there's a bit of cover. Did we go for one of them? But Stephen Glass, I think, was on the record saying we need, we need cover for, for Andy Considine and presumably cover at left-back if Jack McKenzie gets injured. And we decide that you know maybe Johnny Hayes is better used elsewhere. Did we go for another cover there? No, we didn't. We brought in another centre, another central midfielder where we were fairly well, fairly well covered. There didn't seem to be. I mean, Glass was talking to um, BBC Scotland. I think just just after the European game, so he still wanted another number nine to to compete with Christian Ramirez. That never came in. If he doesn't. It, it, it's a very modern scenario. Lots of lots of clubs around the, the UK, lots of clubs around the world do it very well where somebody's in charge of recruitment. Somebody's, and they work with the manager as to who's being brought in. But the targets and then who we went and moved for didn't make sense. 
the head of recruitment, uh, the previous talent scout left, and a whole bunch of players were brought in before the new head of recruitment w- was was brought in. Who's been who's been signing players this summer? The squad, if anything, at the moment is far too big and lopsided. What was the strategy there? We've said it a couple of times. It's this. It, it was the case with the interview tonight. It was the case with. It's it's the case on the park. It's been the case with um, with with the transfer policy. It it's reacting to what's happening rather than ha- having faith that what we want to get to is this kind of system with this group of players doing this sort of thing, so that any successful club goes right. Okay, so if we were if we we're like St Johnston, St Johnston do it really well, for example. Player A is our best player. He's out of contract at the end of the season. We either lose him in for pennies in January or he leaves at the end of the season. So what we go out and we do is we find someone who is as close to him as we possibly can within the budget. He comes, he slots into the team. Maybe we regress a wee bit, but largely speaking, we keep going. If Ryan Hedges leaves in, in January, do we replace him? Do we need to replace him? Does he, where, does he, where does he fit in the system? What's the? But he, we, we want to replace him because he's probably our best attacking player, but like, there's no... We haven't seen that from him. We don't know what, what, where he fits. Uh, so there's... At, at all levels, it just seems a little bit reactionary. And I think I would sum up Cormac going on again t- tonight. Rather than taking a deep breath, like you say, rather than not sending that email right now, rather than maybe... And I largely think he's been positive in the media, but not just going, you know what, maybe I'll write these thoughts down and I'll give it to the press tomorrow. Maybe I'll give it in an interview. Whatever I say is going to be a story. So I'll do. I'll take a more measured approach to it. It's not done glass any favours. The thing for me, again, I just get back to, you know, Cormac's entire mantra has always, or in recent months, has been, was again, we might be wrong, but we won't be confused. And I look at it and I go, right, Dave, you come in the door, you know, you, you take over from Stuart Milne in, what was it, December 2018? That sounds about right. Yeah, I think December 2018. Around then, November, December 18, somewhere around then. And I go, right, if you've already made a call in your mind that McInnes is not your man, you want him out for whatever reason, that's your prerogative. You're now the man in charge. You can you can kind of do what you want from that perspective. You decide actually I want to adopt a more kind of continental approach to how our football club operates on the football side of things. You know, it's we're going to go with a director of football. We're going to go with a head of recruitment. We're going to go with a head manager who reports to director of football. Surely the first thing you do in that is, is appoint a director of football. Feels like it makes sense, doesn't it? A director of football has got to be the first guy in the door He's the guy charged with football strategy, football philosophy, youth setup, transfers, recruitment, first team, the lot. Give him time to come in, figure out what he wants to do. McInnes is getting shuffled off at the back end of the 19 season or the back end of the 20, the 2021 season. Work through it, put some you know building blocks in place, build from there. And instead, we go arse about face. We appoint a, we appoint a manager. We then belatedly promote internally the football operations manager or director, whatever Stephen Gunn's title was before. Then we waste a summer before we even get around to appointing a head of recruitment. We've signed a whole bunch of players. Everything seems not just wrong, but seems confused as well. 
Um, and, and yeah, that's how you end up with players playing in positions they either, one, can't play, or, you know, two, we end up with this, as, as Tom said, this really unbalanced team where, I guess I'm repeating myself here, you're asking, you know, Funzo Ojo, who's been a sitting midfielder his entire career and to suddenly become a box-to-box attacking player. It's just, yeah, it's just, it's a mess. And I don't want to be too critical, but, I mean, Stephen Gunn's got no real track record as far as football goes. I mean, he's... That was not his job at Aberdeen beforehand. So the reason he's there, his qualifications, I, I don't know what they are. And it all smacks of people being appointed into positions to basically satisfy what Dave Cormack wants uh, wants to happen. And I think ultimately that will be to the detriment of the club. What I don't quite understand, though, with it is if if Dave Cormack wanted to, do, like if he wanted to have his man overseeing football, have your man as the director of football. Appoint the director of football as your guy, whoever that might be. I mean, it could even have been Stephen Glass. Like, I, I don't, I, I have no idea. Like, the director of football role seems to be a movable feast. Sometimes it's operations guys. Sometimes they're managers who have decided to move upstairs. Sometimes they're, you know, they're effectively lawyers that work on contracts and, and that side of things. It, it could be who you want if that's the control that you want to have on a football level. But there does seem to be that that does seem to be a fairly big hole in the operation at the moment. Um, yeah, like given everything that's going on round about it, that, that just seems to be the one thing missing. Well, there's lots of things missing, but that seems to be the, there's this giant conspicuous hole in the middle of the operation, given the way it's been set up. And it does lead to other natural questions, which is you know presumably. If and when Stephen Glass departs stage left, and I think we've all agreed it's going to be very, very difficult for him to see out a significant period of time longer than where we are at the moment. Presumably the appointment of, an, of a new manager falls squarely within the remit of, of Stephen Gunn. And this will be the very first time he's been sat in that, that situation. And I'm talking for myself, I'm not entirely sure I have a lot of confidence in, in the ability to, to appoint the right man for the role as we go forward, because I think they're going to be welded still to this strategy philosophy document that they produced um back in june 2020 which you know i actually went back and looked at it again and i never really picked up on it at the time but it's really just a sales brochure for aber dna and season tickets at the time um there's nothing substantive in it it's buzzword bingo bullshit doesn't tell me anything about how we expect to play or how we expect to develop as a football club does anyone here on, the, on this call have any idea what our actual strategy philosophy is actually meant to be it's doing all the things that all clubs want to do and about four in the history of football have actually done it's like we want to produce our own players and sell them on so that they can go and play at the very top level for lots of money we want to be amongst the elite of european football we want to win trophies on a regular you know we want to play expansive attacking football and lots of different ways of playing and lots of like there are i don't know 10 teams in the last 20 years that managed to do that. <laughs> like Celtic couldn't do that in Scottish football with all the money, like infinite money cheat. They couldn't, they, they couldn't do that. Um, <laughs> and a head start of 10 years over everybody else. Um, and I think the difficulty that we've got now is, I think we're all agreed, it would be great if Stephen Glass turns it around, but looking at the, the bones the way they are, that doesn't seem likely. And the next managerial appointment will be, far harder than the previous one should have been because it's not it, it it's not a club that's disqualified for Europe it's not 
getting a say in transfers, it's not. It's blatantly obvious there is a, a, a chairman who wants to have a very strong say in how the club is run. That's not going to put everybody off, but it does mean that maybe you're fighting fires. Maybe you, you like, I, I, I'm not suggesting that a Jim Goodwin would be a bad appointment, but it would be a safe appointment in comparison to who might have been a possibility in the summer. Um, and you are very much looking to try and bring people in for for now and the next six six to 12 months rather than looking for somebody over the next three years or so. This is all kind of hypothetical, but it, it, it's it's the idea that there's this ethereal way of doing things and we've got the, 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 this idea of maybe what we want to be and it's effectively, you know, the Ajax team of 1995 but there's not really been any anything put in the, the stages to get even remotely close to that. Just to kind of pick up on that point of the the next appointment, presumably as well, the the same parameters will be in place for that appointment, as has been mentioned. That okay, well, if the manager cannot per- really have much of a say in terms of transfers, I've seen like you know, Alex Neal appears to be the quite popular Twitter. Um, opinion as far as far as who we go for, Alex Neal's not going to leave his fate in the hands of Darren Mowbray and Stephen Gunn, knowing you know how important that job will be to him, and um, to you know find himself in a situation where he's got to play Austin Samuels on the left wing because that's just how the cookie crumbles. So so yeah, and then we're just kind of back in that situation of there doesn't seem to be really any doesn't seem to be any real football people within the club at the higher levels. So then, yeah, you're just, you're left in the situation of effectively people that just don't really know what they're doing in, in positions that are, you know, so, so massive for a football club to have any chance of being, you know, successful to a reasonable standard. Never mind this kind of Tom just said, Ajax, Barcelona, you know, all seeing all dancing philosophy that will go down in histories and we'll be writing about it. And on, you know, be writing about in the stars in like 20 years time it's just yeah it's just once again it's just a mess i i don't think i've really got anything to add over and above that uh the, the only point i would which I, you know get a bit of stick from gary and gavin is i actually don't care how we play football i don't believe in philosophy as such it's about the winning so i'm less hung up on are we moving from this way of playing to that way of playing it's more about how do we put the infrastructure in place to create a successful Aberdeen? And all of those points everyone's made, you know, are absolutely valid with that. You you need the right people in the right positions to be successful. How we get there in terms of the product and the pitch doesn't actually bother me. I just want to see is win more often than we lose. But I don't necessarily think we've got the building blocks to achieve either outcome that people on this, you know, that we're chatting to right now might want, whether it's purely results focused or playing quote-unquote the right way neither of them seem really achievable at this point in time i think what hurts the most is as well like we've mentioned this a few times that i think we're all in agreement that we've got a better group of players than we are currently showing i would say so i think the players are 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 decent i was genuinely excited about the majority of the signings and that i never imagined we'd be where we are right now I, i thought it would be tricky and I didn't expect us to necessarily be 
up at the top end of the table this day, just with everything that had gone on. But I never once imagined we'd be sitting here, what are we, 18th of October, bumping our gums about the fact that we're not far off the bottom of the table and we're in a ranked run of form. We just didn't see it. Yeah, and that's, again, where I how I fall into call me because I agree with Tom. I think you could pretty much put any manager in the SPL onto the Aberdeen job and we're sitting in a stronger position. One thing, I'm just going to go back to this, the idea of the Scottish experienced coach. I did see someone on Twitter say that we should appointed Brian Rice as number two. Um, so, so um, you know, what, well, what more do I need to say about that? It's a nice little idea, but um, not not just anyone. It's a, it's a, it's a fucking it's a terrible fucking idea. Terrible. <laughs> there, I mean, there have, in fairness, there have been, if you're, you think you think Twitter's bad for some ideas? Some of the Facebook groups, Jesus Christ, there's been some. Oh, <laughs> there's so been some. <laughs> people, people don't realize they don't. They know it's not public, so they they'll say they're fucking Terry Butcher. Jesus Christ! <laughs> I realize it's a podcast, but I don't know, Gavin, in the editing, if there's any way you could insert a video clip of Tom's face when Brian Rice was mentioned, because that would be, uh, it that'd was, be worth It was having. somewhere, like, up there when, like, you know, that Sunderland scout, like, proposed Latin Ibrahimovic to them in, like, in the championship because he was available on a free. Absolutely amazing stuff. Listen, it's thoroughly depressing. Let's move on. Um, I was going to move on a minute ago when Graham turned into John Lennon and told us he didn't believe in philosophy. So um, that's the one and only time, Graham, I'll be making that comparison. If philosophy is winning, that's my philosophy. <laughs> All right, Sam Allardyce, come on, settle down. Did anyone see like the meme of like it's um, Sam Allardyce on the phone? It's like, all right, so if I'm go, pa- it's passport left, and but if I'm a new macker, I've gone too yeah. far. <laughs> Terrifying. <laughs> Terrifying. So moving on, let's take a look at some other news from Pataudry this week. So on the women's side, tough fixtures keep on coming for Emma Hunter and Gavin Beath's side as they travelled to the Tony Macaroni to face Hibs in SWPL one, and the managers will have been delighted to welcome Francesca Ogilvy. And Lauren Gordon back to the starting lineup with Bailey Hutchison also making her way back to the bench. Captain Kelly Forrest still missing alongside Amy Strath, although Forrest did join the team for the warm up, so hopefully she won't be far away from returning to the side. And it was Hebs who were first to threaten Boyle's deep cross finding Notley, but her header clipped the top of Gail Gilmore's bar, and the woodwork came to the Don's rescue minutes later, with Notley again finding the bar after being sent through on goal. The Dons began to get themselves into the game with Bailey Collins releasing Francesca Ogilvie, but the pass slipped through on the wet surface to the onrushing Hibernian goalkeeper. And it was Hibs who took the lead after 36 minutes. A fine move seeing Boyle and Leishman combining and slipping in Kavanaugh who fired a fine curling effort into the top corner to give Hibs the lead at halftime. Aberdeen came out the traps well in the second half, Donna Patterson sending a speculative effort over from 35 yards before Hibs began to take more control. Kavanaugh hitting the bar again just on the hour mark and the game petered out with the Dons nearly finding a last minute equaliser through Eva Thompson but her shot was blocked and easily held by the Hibs goalkeeper. A hard one to take team making it three defeats on the spin in the league but encouraging signs with Hibs being a regular established side at this level especially after last week's confidence sapping 8-0 hammering at the hands of Rangers. And it's Hibs who visit the Balmoral on the 31st of October for the SWPL Cup before a home tie at Glee Park against reigning champions Glasgow City, which will prove to be one of the biggest tests of the season for the side so far. Moving on to the young team, an impressive 3-3 draw against Rangers at Cormac Park in the Cass Under-18 League with the Dons coming from behind on three occasions. An impressive result for the young side 
missing Ryan Duncan, who's now obviously on loan at Peterhead, and Alfie Babbage, who's away in international duty, and scored a winning goal for Scotland in their 1-0 victory in midweek. Rangers took the lead on 17 minutes, Alan forcing the ball in following a corner kick, but Aberdeen responded almost immediately. A fine run up the wing from Harvey, who saw his cross half cut out, and Finn Yeats stepped forward to lash a stunning 25-yard strike into the top corner of the net. On 41 minutes, Rangers retook the lead. Jack Harkness escaping a couple of challenges after cutting in from the right-hand side to place the ball into the corner of the net. Aberdeen showed tremendous character again, though, as they equalised within a minute. Timmy Fatona charging up the right wing before cutting into the box and smashing past McConnell. A fine finish from the right back. And into the second half, Rangers took the lead again, this time on 49 minutes, a pace of counter-attack, seeing Wilson lift one beyond the despairing Oyemi. And this time it took Aberdeen all of three minutes to respond. Adam Emsley showing great strength to work his way into the box before slipping the ball beyond the goalkeeper for 3-3. The Dons had two opportunities to take the lead. McKenzie meeting a lob in corner, but heading over. And then lobbing himself, having an opportunity which he lashed over the bar as the Dons began to grow more and more into the game. Both sides fashioning opportunities to win it, but neither was able to do so. A draw, probably a fair result, but one that Barry Robson can be pleased with as once again, his side was significantly younger in many areas than their opposition. And moving on to Lone Watch, Kevin Hanratty and Tyler McKaita both retained their spots in the starting lineup for Formartin United in their Highland League fixture against Turriff. Both finding the net in this one as Formartin ran out 5-0 winners. Jack McIver kept his spot in the starting lineup and played the full 90 minutes for Huntley in their 2-0 home defeat to Bucky Thistle, with Tom Ritchie recalled to the main Aberdeen side due to Joe Lewis's illness. Jack Milne started for Brecon City in their 3-1 victory at Wick Academy, but it wasn't to be three man-of-the-match awards in a row for Jack, as he was substituted just on half-time. Connor Barron kept his spot in the starting lineup, and Kieran Nguyenya made his Kelty Hearts debut as they ran out 3-2 winners at Edinburgh City in League 2, Barron lasting 72 minutes with Nguyenya seeing out the full game as Kelty maintained their unbeaten start to life in League 2. Mark Gallagher got 77 minutes for his day, defeated Aaron Athletic by two goals to nil. And Michael Roof started for Falkirk as they suffered a bruising 3-0 home defeat to Airdrieonians. Mark Gallagher got 77 minutes for four for Athletic as they defeated Annan by two goals to nil. And Michael Roof started for Falkirk as they suffered a bruising 3-0 home defeat to Airdrieonians. And with Ryan Duncan still out injured for Peter Head, he's still to make his debut for the Blue Toon. And finally, Luke Turner kept his place in the starting lineup for Cliftonville, playing all 90 minutes as they beat Lauren 2-1 to maintain their unbeaten start to the Northern Irish Premier League. And moving on to the Fantasy Football Scotland League. Uh, an impressive, impressive week for myself, scoring the total of nine points. I didn't even think that was possible. And that's coming from me. I do need to caveat that though with the fact that I had 12 points worth of transfer deductions. But even then, 21 points is not a particularly sparkling return. Even in a fantasy football world, you're uh, you're accounting for a transition in your uh, in your defeat. Absolutely, absolutely. It's meant I've slipped a hundred down 157th in the table, which is which is not great. Um 46 points, slap bang average performance for myself. Um Frustratingly, once again, for what feels like the third week in a row, Scott Tanzer has got about nine points and he's sat on the bench <laughs> doing hee-haw for me as well as Craig Halkett. So, uh, oh dear. So, uh, room for improvement to say the very least. But uh, yeah. Oh, no. Solid. Solid. It wasn't great for me. 31 points, although my bench got zero points. So, don't feel quite so bad about that, which puts me, I've gone down. So, I'm now in 170th position so it probably means i can see you on the same screen now gary 
Oh no, mate! I need to pull that. I need to pull myself together. Hopefully, my transfers will, will sort me out now going forward. Um, good week though for Jack Curran and his two turkeys. He's he's now leading the, the way on fifty five points, and he's stretched out a lead. He's on five hundred sixty three now, which makes him twelve points clear of John Easton and his grey growlers. And then Callum Wilson um, decided to take a couple minutes off from scoring for Saudi Arabia's new plaything to launch 32 points into the Fantasy Football League this week with Dynamo Dreadful. He's on level on points, actually, with John Easton's Grey Glowers in third spot. All in all, a pretty bang average week, I think, for most people because a lot of your high flyers, a lot of your kind of very typical players you'd be expecting to get points like, so, you know, Martin Boyle, stuff like that, didn't have a good week. I'll tell you what, it wasn't a bad week for the Queen's 11th, though. He's back up there. Well, he's back up there for just now until his million points deduction kicks in. So. <laughs> yeah, on a plus note, I did get more points than that Joker who has Berry in the jet. Yeah, not a good week for, for Mr. Gray. What a terrible shame. Make sure you keep an eye on your Fantasy Football Scotland team as you go through the season. There's still some good prizes to be won towards the back end of the campaign, so keep it real. And remember, don't pick any of them. And so that wraps up part one of this week's show. Join us after the break for our preview of next week's SPFL Premiership fixture against Hibs with Tom Watt. And to play out the first half, we're delighted to bring you music from Audio Kicks with their upcoming new single. And I'm sure it sums up the way a lot of Aberdeen fans felt at Dens Park. It's same old stories. Check out Audio Kicks on Twitter at Audio Kicks Band.
Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. Now, time to take a look at our fixture this weekend against Hibs in the SPFL Premiership. Gents, what are we looking for? What are we hoping for, other than the obvious three points for the Dons? We're hoping that we get Hibs and not Hibs. But the, the Hibs that Hibs it, the Hibs that turned up or didn't turn up at the weekend, the Hibs that buckle under the slightest inkling of pressure um, would be fantastic. The uh, hips of the first eight games of the season uh, are giving me the fear. What I want and what, I, what I'll be looking for and why what, what I think will happen are all very, very different things. Yeah, I'm quite concerned because um, hips on the day are pretty handy and they're, yeah, they must be looking at this as a great opportunity and not so sure we can be saying that. The only slight caveat to that would be, and I know it sounded daft, we, we all agreed before the Celtic match, having a team that was open would probably suit us than a team that was stuffy and hard to beat. But but the trade-off to that is a team that's open and quite good at scoring goals might not actually suit us in the current form because I feel like they're uh, we're going to concede. That's absolute certainty. And even though they'll be open and they'll probably give us chances, the kind of form we're in, it's not really a certainty that we're going to make the most of that. And our luck is out again. Ryan Porteous is still suspended. <laughs> that's not fair. It's a big blow. It's a big blow. Absolutely. It, it couldn't even be more Aberdeen, though, could it? Because, I mean, you think what you really wanted was Hibs to go, you know, thump United last weekend, come in with a bit of complacency because, you know, they, they expect to rock up here and turn us over. So even typically they, they get done by United at the weekend. It means that there'll be no sense of that complacency. They'll be hard at it again this week with Jack Ross, which means they come up here determined to put that one right. I'm sure um, I'm sure Jack Ross is, um, well, I mean, he was highly regarded by Aberdeen fans. I think people looked to him as a, a potential successor to Derek McInnes. Um, and, you know, he's he's clearly a guy that's got ambitions and, you know, coming up with a hips team to put another nail in the coffin, so to speak, of Aberdeen. I'm sure that'll be a, a, very, a very appealing prospect to him. Two things that are causing me the biggest amount of concern is that we are incredibly vulnerable to teams that like quick teams that are quick on the counter attack. We're, we're vulnerable to anyone on the counter attack at the moment. Like when we give the ball away twenty yards into the opposition half, we like we saw at the weekend against Dundee. You can take out ten players with a ball over the top. If there was a team that is like the worst possible team to face at the moment is is a Hibs team who decides to sit deep and hit us on the break because it could be embarrassing. It could be it could be really bloody awful. You know, it could be really, really awful. The second thing that's terrifying me is the 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 idea of narrative of Glass and Scott Brown going back to Hibs, having to have a like really needing not just a performance but a result and trying to get Martin Boyle and failing in the summer and you can just join those dots. Um, we need to find something that we've not had in... We need to find something that we've not had at any point in the last... We've probably not had at any point um, this season in terms of resilience because if they decide to hit us on the counter-attack, we're in trouble. If they decide to, to, to go all-out attack from the, the start, we're in trouble. What we need to be able to do is... And what we did, we, we have done generally fairly well against Hibs over the last 10 years or so is make it a bit of a battle and make it scrappy and stop their flair players from, from playing. 
I'm kind of clutching at straws here. The the the, the I, I think the 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 one thing that I would the one thing I would would say that we does give us a bit of a, a, a chance is and the one weakness Jack Ross has is occasionally overthink it. Um like I say, at the moment, the worst team that our setup could possibly face is the way that Hibs have been playing for most of this season uh, and the sort of tail end of last season. Um, but Jack Ross does have a, a, an ability to tinker with things and play an extra midfielder when he needs to go wide or go with three up front when he needs a bit more to be a bit more dynamic at the back that very occasionally just shoots himself in the foot. It's the only way I can see us getting something because confidence is so fragile. We're not going to get the we're not going to get as much of the ball as we had. We're not going to get as we're not going to get the opportunity to pass it sideways and break at pace really. And Hibbs width would technically be theoretically if they're committing players forward, we theoretically where we we could get at them. But I don't know. I've got a bad feeling about this. I think my bad. Like my bad feeling is compounded by the uh, the red shed could be if we go two 0 down early doors. It's that vocal element that was in, at Dens Park will be in there again, and it's when they want to be, it's fucking loud, and that could turn Patology into a really toxic atmosphere that uh, will creep onto the onto the pitch and in, into the players. And yeah, it could be yeah, it could be a really dark day for us, um, a really embarrassing day, as Tom says. This is bleak, is it? <laughs> It's positive stuff. I love it. I mean, I'm trying. I'm I'm trying. I'm trying. We spoke about the manager and his stubbornness. His his the fact he's welded to this four three three system at the moment. I mean, d- does anyone see this changing actually on Saturday? Does anyone see him decide to do something different? Well, I mean, that would depend on if Ross McCrory is available, which I, I've heard and seen no comment of again why he was not available against Dundee. But truthfully, no. I think we'll I think we'll go the same shape and. You know that'll that's a decision that Stephen Glass has to stand by, and you know he'll uh, he'll come up again in the record books. I think he will, and I think it will make, regardless of how Hibs set up the, the various different ways that they've set up this season, it makes for like an incredibly open game. I mean, if they they kind of switched to for the the Dundee United game at the, the weekend, they played the sort of two sitting players for like four two three one. He's played a back three the season. Um, they've played four three three a lot as well. I don't see any reason why I don't see any reason why glass would change things. Personally, I think we've we have got to we've got to like we are the if you're in a position of strength and you impose your game plan on other on other people and we are not in a position of strength, so we need to kind of keep it tight. We need to make this a less open game. And however Hibs line up, they're they're going to be quite um, they're going to be quite open. I really do hope he changes it. I really do hope that he puts in, if McCrory's fit, fantastic, or or McGeech, and just somebody that's going to sit in front of the defence with, I don't know, with like with with Scott Brown potentially, and let the give them a little bit more protection, cover the fullbacks if the fullbacks are going to go forward. If one of the fullbacks, if Hibs are very dangerous, especially down the right-hand side. I think if um, maybe sit in a bit on one side and attack, like counter them there, then we've got a bit more, a bit more hope. That's how I would have set it up. Glass has not changed it so far, so I don't know yet. 
I'm going to try and find some positivity out of this. If we win on Saturday, bizarrely, Hibs have had a great start to the season. Um, usual kind of media darling stuff again about them. If we win on Saturday, we're actually only four points <laughs> off of them, which, given how horrendous our season has been, seems crazy. I mean, I know I'm I'm really pulling out the positivity there or go with that one, but it, it's incredible actually how close you could actually tidy things back up again with a couple of results. It's a valid point. It's actually a point Dave Cormack made when he was chatting earlier that as much as they've been lauded, yeah, we could be that close, um, which would optically, you know, that, that would make a huge difference. And just getting three points off one of your rivals and the, the run we're in would be a huge achievement. Like Tom, normally I'd be of the opinion of Aberdeen are at home, so we would impose our game on the opposition, with the odd exception. I absolutely agree for Saturday we should be looking at just a way of trying to make it stuffy, just try and park your ideals for a minute and let's just try and get a foothold in the match or foothold in the league, if you like, you know, get, get some points on the board. But based on what we've seen so far, every week goes by, and we're dropping points, we're dropping points, it doesn't seem to change it. Feels like, I was going to say at some point, something has to give, but maybe it doesn't, maybe we will just go the same way. And in which case, it'd be a little bit concerned because, yeah, they've, they've got a lot more strengths and weaknesses versus us, I would say, with the, way, the current form we're in. I'll, I'll, I'll try and be positive as well. I think the one thing, the one positive I would take is for all the credit Hibs have had this season and they have deserved an awful lot of credit. And I think in Martin Boyle, they have the best non-old firm player, best attacking non-old firm player in the in the division by a by a fair bit. But they're defensively suspect. They're still defensively pretty pretty iffy. I mean, they've they've conceded eleven this season, which is the same as Motherwell's only two more two more than we have, and we've been shite defensively absolute garbage defensively they've, they've not been great either so they they definitely and for all we're sort of joking about Ryan Porteous he has been their best defender this season He he's still more than capable of shooting himself in the foot and doing something daft uh, very regularly but he has he's been fairly he's been more solid this season um, he's missing so there will be a new body um coming in, in the, uh, at centre-back. So you definitely can get at them there. But whatever I say positive on the positive side, I keep, <laughs> I've got the kind of caveat it with, I'm not confident with this. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let me try now. Um, so one thing I will, <laughs> one thing I would take from uh, the Dundee game, actually, and this was a, an attacking substitute that I thought made a, a positive impact on the game. And, Same again. Uh, I was, well, I was about to say it's not Jet. Um, I thought Marley Watkins was um, actually very good when he came on. Um, showed yeah. a lot of intent. Uh, was very direct. Carried the ball very well. Um, from what I understand, he's naturally quite a fit person anyway. So I know he's not had much game time, but I'm hoping that he's going to be able to uh, play for at least an hour or so and you know make a make an impact. Because as Tom says, their hibs are not. You know they're not. Um, you know, Milan teams of of years gone by, they're pretty ordinary defensively. So hopefully that's uh, something that we can use to either, you know, create chances and create space down the flanks or, you know, get Marley Watkins up closer to Christian Ramirez to give him some support, which um, again, I think we all would agree that uh, he needs to have the most amount of chances to 
to yet get himself on the score sheet and be involved in a, in a winning Aberdeen team. Come on then. Predictions. Head or heart? Uh, head says that we're going to lose 3-1. Heart says we'll win 2-1. Like it. We're not keeping a clean sheet anyway. <laughs> no, we don't keep clean sheets. Say that then. I've got a kind of way of thinking that in order for us to draw, we need to score at least two. In order to win, we need to score at least three. <laughs> at least. Um, three, three. Three, three. <laughs> Final three, two up. Last, last, minute, last minute equalizer for Hibs. Because I'm going to stay, you know, rooted in some element of reality. I'm going to, I'm going to say two one Aberdeen. I'm going with the no clean sheet philosophy, which I think we're all agreed on. And I'm going to say that we're mainly due to Hibs Hibsing it rather than us being excellent. But still, two one's two one. I'm going to go two one as well. I'm going to go two in the Dons. I think I've got a wee feeling that we 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 get a result on Saturday. I don't we've know ended why. This on a high. No idea. After, after talking, we've really talked ourselves into it. <laughs> I don't. I don't know why. I think we will, but I have a feeling two one the Dons. I don't know who's going to score. I don't really care. Um, Marley Watkins and Austin Samuels. That'll do. Two um, one. Hibs Hibs it. The Dons are back. <laughs> Champions League. Here we come. <laughs> So that wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Tom, thanks for joining us. It's been a pleasure having you. Thanks very much for having us on. It's been great. Not a problem. And thank you to everyone listening to this. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow, or whatever on your podcast player of choice. Join us next week for episode 15 of the ABZ Football Podcast, where we'll review our SPFL Premiership fixture against Hibs and take a look ahead to our visit to Mordor and the visit of Hearts to Pataudry in the Premiership. We'll also take our usual look at the women's team and our youth setup before we round things off with an exclusive interview with a man who's in a select group having scored two goals against Rangers in a major cup final. It's nearly 32 years to the day. It's the one and only Paul Mason. We look forward to seeing you then. Stand free.